0: Welcome to the UGA-BCM podcast, a ministry of the BCM at the University of Georgia. To find out more about us, follow us on Instagram at UGA-BCM. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. We're going to look tonight at the standard of righteousness. Now, if you go back a few weeks ago, we talked about the Beatitudes. And then after that, Josh Smith was with us. And he talked about this idea that we're to be salt and light, right? And he talked about what the purpose of being salt and light is and and, and so forth. And and so now we pick up in chapter uh, 5, verse 17 through verse 20. And if you were here when Josh spoke, you remember that he said, I'm so excited that I got this passage of scripture and not the next one. And I feel sorry for whoever's got to preach the next one. Well, that's me, all right? And so we're in verse 17 through verse 20 of chapter 5. We're going to jump right into it, and we're just going to see three things tonight about this text that will help us to understand the true standard of righteousness that Jesus sets for us here and will really help us to understand the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is sort of the, like, penultimate end of this whole introduction for the Sermon on the Mount, all right? Uh, If there was a thesis to this, you might could look at this, particularly when we get to verse 20 Uh, And see kind of this thesis of what's going to be set forth moving forward. And so we begin in verse 17 of chapter 5. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass. From the law until all is accomplished... So again, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill that law and the prophets. And he says, none of this is passing away from the law until all is accomplished. And he says in verse 19, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray tonight. Lord, we ask you tonight that as we look at this, help us to see your true standard of righteousness. Help us to see exactly what you're setting up for us as we go through the rest of this Sermon on the Mount and help us to understand ultimately how it points us to why we need you so desperately in our lives. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. Bless this tonight as we look at it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's the deal. We just got through with the Beatitudes. We just got through with salt and light. And ultimately, there's a lot of questions about Jesus' teachings, particularly when it comes to this passage. Imagine being a Pharisee or a scribe, and you think you got it all figured out, and Jesus comes in, and he starts saying things that ultimately, in some ways, you're going to take probably pretty personal. And in other ways, as Jesus is preaching and teaching, it begins to take some of the things that you've taught, and it seems as if they're spinning them on its head. But what Jesus says is, is Jesus is going to answer these questions before he ever gets into them. Because it's, it's, it's like he knows, well, I mean, he is God, so obviously he does know that there's going to be somebody that questions what it is that he's come to do. In other words, is this some new teacher that just showed up on the block and said, hey, here's what I've come to do. You guys were wrong with everything you taught, and it doesn't make any sense, and so I've come to just basically do away with the law. And so what Jesus says is that's not the case at all. That's not the case at all, and so Jesus is really explaining to us what it is that he's come to do and and what role that plays in when it comes to the law. Does that make sense? Right, because there's people even today that have a hard time with this understanding of, you know, there was a period of law and there's a period of grace, right? There was this old covenant and there was this new covenant, right? Like, people struggle with that. Well, why does the Old Testament seem that it says this, but the New Testament seems that it says this, right? Right? And you have to look at all that through this landscape, or through this lens and landscape of, is that we know, though, that God never changes. Right? And so here we are, serving and worshiping and and studying about and and reading about a God who never changes, but yet it seems like that he had these laws back here and then, and then Jesus shows up in the scene, and then everything kind of flips around, and it's like, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? So, what some people tell us to do is just ignore the Old Testament, right? That's what some people tell you to do. That's crazy and dumb. Alright, that's not what we're supposed to do. Uh, And and, and so, ultimately, we got to figure out what to do exactly with what it is that Jesus is saying here. And so to understand everything that Jesus is about to preach, and ultimately his relationship with the law, we first need to understand tonight the purpose of Jesus. The purpose of Jesus is lined out in verse 17, where he says that, uh, Do not think I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, and then he says this, But to fulfill. But to fulfill. Jesus came ultimately to fulfill the law and the prophets, not to abolish it. Now, there's other multiple references throughout Scripture that reference this. Matter of fact, if you look over to Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and verse 4, I want to read that to you very, very quickly. Uh Uh-oh, my pages. There we go. Good. All right, listen to this. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And then check this out. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So here we read about Paul in Romans who says that what Jesus did is he came ultimately to show through us in our righteousness this fulfillment of the law. Because the law wasn't enough. And so when we think about what it means for Jesus to fulfill the law, it's not saying that Jesus is replacing the law. That's not what we're getting here. Right? Even when Jesus says a new commandment I give you that you love one another, you've got to read that in context of everything else that Jesus has taught and Jesus has said. Jesus is not telling us that you just throw everything out, you know, you throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's not what he's saying. He's saying. But instead, what Jesus is saying here is that he didn't come to do away with it, but instead he came to fulfill it. Matthew constantly writes in his gospel, ultimately, this idea of Jesus fulfilling something. Matter of fact, there are 68 Old Testament references in the book of Matthew. That's insane, isn't it? 68 Old Testament references in the book of Matthew. It says uh, the term fulfilled is used by Matthew when it said uh, so that it would be fulfilled or so that, that what was written would be fulfilled or so that Jesus came to fulfill it's 12 different times. Nine times, Matthew talks about the fact that it is written and then references something that Jesus did. So in one way, when we think about that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, what Matthew is telling us is this. Is that ultimately, the way it played out was is that the prophets and the Old Testament was all pointing towards who? Y'all all say this together. Towards who? Jesus. Jesus. So Jesus, in one sense, came to fulfill the law and the prophets because he was what they were pointing to. But that's just a piece of it. That's just a piece of it. See, Jesus not only came to fulfill the prophecies of the Messiah, but also to fulfill the law. J.D. Greer, by the way, who's coming on March the 20th, wrote an article about this particular passage, and he said this. He said, every law pointed to Jesus, and he completed everything they pointed to. Does that make sense? So every law in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Some of you know that one of the ways that you can share with somebody the gospel is to start with the law, right? That's one of the the, the ways that you can do that. And talk about the fact that there's no possible way that we could fulfill the law. And you can walk somebody through the fact that, hey, there's these laws and these laws and these laws and these commandments and these commandments. And you know what? Hey, have you broken one of them? And if you've broken one of them, you've missed the mark because the Bible tells us we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That's why Paul says that basically the law, right, that's why why here in Romans we read that the law, basically we needed Jesus for us to have righteousness because we couldn't get it through the law. And so here it is that Jesus didn't come to do away with it, but instead he simply came to fulfill it. So you may say, what about some of those crazy laws in the Old Testament? Anybody read Leviticus? Who said they're reading it right now? Kennedy, you're reading it right now? This man right here said, it's hard to read. It is hard to read, isn't it? And it's crazy. The stuff they say in Leviticus, you're like, I don't understand that. Right? You ever read Leviticus and then been like, why don't we follow those laws? You ever wonder that? Okay? So here's the thing. If you take just a sweeping approach to it and go, well, it's because it was the Old Testament and so it doesn't account to us anymore, we have a problem. And here's the problem that we have. The problem is, is that Jesus is about to tell us about these Old Testament laws. And he's not going to do away with them. He's actually going to elevate them. He's actually going to elevate them. So it can't be that we just do away with them. So what you have to understand, just a quick little like, Bible lesson for you for just a second. All right, Just a quick little Bible lesson for just a second. What you have to understand about the laws in Leviticus and in the Old Testament is that there's three types of laws. This is something if you take notes, definitely write it down because it will help you, particularly when you're on campus sharing the gospel with somebody and they'll be like, well, hey, why don't y'all follow this law anymore? Why don't all the women in your church wear something over their head? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? That's in Leviticus, right? Or, hey, why, why do your men cut their hair or not cut their hair? Yeah, you get what I'm saying, right? Or why is it okay that your campus minister has a couple tattoos? Like, y'all get what I'm saying, right? Like, like they're going to ask those questions. Well, here's why. Because there's ceremonial law, there's civil law, and there's moral law, okay? And the ceremonial law is pretty simple. It's like the, r- the religious laws. It's the, it's the what you did ultimately within those ceremonies of like the tabernacle and all those kind of things, right? It, it's, it's how you basically made sure that your sins were taken care of, and it's all those, those ceremonial things you did. Well, why do you think we don't follow those anymore? Who was the ultimate sacrifice? Jesus. That's twice where that was the answer. It's like Sunday school where you're not sure the answer and you just yell out Jesus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? Okay? So Jesus. So, So that's the first reason. Then you have the civil laws. Now this is complicated. But it's really not. So who was God's chosen people in the Old Testament? The Israelites. And there are a chunk of laws in um, Leviticus that deal with the fact that God was setting apart his people through which the Messiah was going to come. And we see those civil laws showing up. It was the ones that were like, hey, since you're a Jew, you have to do this. Everybody else does that. Now you have to do this. Okay? Now here's where it gets a little complicated, legitimately. Sometimes a civil law became a moral law if you broke it. Does that, you get what I'm saying, right? Okay? Okay. And so so some people get confused on that, but ultimately, again, because of Jesus coming and because we're not functioning in the setting that we were before Jesus, because now the gospel is not just for the Jew, but it's also for who? The Gentile as well. The civil laws don't really work anymore. But guess what Jesus always references over and over and over again? The moral laws. The moral laws. Y'all remember when I started this whole study back a few weeks ago on on um, the Sermon on the Mount? And I talked about that when you read the Sermon on the Mount, to read it correctly, you have to have an understanding of partial fulfillment and complete fulfillment of prophecy and teachings and so forth in Scripture. Y'all remember when I said that? Well, guess what? The law is, the gr- is, is one of the great ways to understand that. Because Jesus, guess what? He comes and fulfills fully, in some sense of the word, certain portions of the law but yet there are other portions of the law that haven't completely fully been fulfilled yet and won't be until we are redeemed until there's a new heaven and a new earth because we still live in a broken sinful place so there's still a need for moral laws does that make sense okay so with that in mind think about this this is this is this is pretty cool jd greer guy again all right So what we see here is that the moral law remains, is actually elevated to a new standard, not only in this sermon, but in other passages. And what we see this new standard encapsulated by is, guess what? Love. It's love. Now, here's what Greer says. Now, even though we still defend the moral laws of the Old Testament, we have to keep in mind that Jesus fulfilled it all, like all the laws. The Christian is not under obligation to keep the moral law as a way of earning his or her way to God. Instead, he or she is changed by the presence of God's spirit to desire to keep God's laws. He's after a whole new kind of obedience that comes from love and delight in God. Christians keep the moral commands not because it's the law, but because they love God and want to be like him. So we see the purpose of Jesus was to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Jesus did not come here to say, you don't have to pay any attention anymore to what's right and wrong. You now have this free grace that allows you the freedom and the liberty to do whatever you want to do. That's not what Jesus says. Instead, he raises the standard. So what we see here is not just the purpose of Jesus, but we also see in verse 18 through 19, because he's going to raise the standard a little bit, is the permanence of the law. Because what Jesus says is, I didn't come to do away with the law, but he says I came to fulfill the law. And then in verse 18 he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, remember that partial and complete fulfillment, one day heaven and earth will pass away, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. You can read about that in Revelation. Jesus says... Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass. You ever heard the phrase one iota? That's literally what Jesus says here. Not one iota. You know what an iota is? It's the smallest letter in the Greek language. Not one iota will pass is what he says. From the law until all is accomplished. So see, what we find in this passage of scripture when we look at verse 18 is the fact that Jesus says, Hey, I didn't come to abolish the law. And while Jesus did come and fulfill the ceremonial laws and the civil laws, he didn't do away with them. Instead, he just simply fulfilled them. And and what Jesus is going to do is say, And I'm not doing away with the moral laws. Matter of fact, they're going to be around until a new heaven and earth come to pass. And then he says in verse 19, look at this. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So there is a great warning there, which is if you minimize the moral laws of the Old Testament, if you minimize the law in general and don't recognize that even those civil and ceremonial laws are pointing us to Jesus, yeah, I'm just going to say it. If you try to unhitch the Old Testament from your faith and teach others to do the same, Jesus says, you'll be one of the least of those in the kingdom. It's what he says. It's what he says. If you make little of the Old Testament, I didn't say it. Don't get mad at Tommy. Jesus said it. Does that make sense? It's there. I mean, it is there. And so ultimately, when we look at that, the bottom line is, is that we understand that Jesus references here that the law will remain until all is fulfilled. While he fulfilled part of it, ultimately, we understand that there is a total fulfillment coming. And when you recognize that, what happens is, is it ought to drive us to respect and honor the word of God. Because it's in his word where we find the law. So we see the permanence of the law. We see the purpose of Jesus, the permanence of the law. And then the third thing we see tonight is the perfection of God's standard. The perfection of God's standard. Verse 20 says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this is where it gets tough. Because what Jesus has done for us is he says, I didn't come to fulfill the law. I mean to abolish the law, sorry. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. He said, I came to fulfill the law. That's what Jesus says. And Jesus says, ultimately, the law is going to be around forever. Right? Until a new heaven, and new earth are established. He said, until this old earth and this old heaven pass away. He says, ultimately, the law is going to be around forever. And if you speak bad about the law and you minimize the law, ultimately, he says, you'll be the least of those in the kingdom. And then he takes it a step further and goes, oh, and by the way, when it comes to this standard of righteousness, if you are not above the standard that the scribes and Pharisees have set, You won't enter the kingdom. You won't enter the kingdom. Now imagine being someone in that large crowd of people. And you've been taught as a child. And you've been taught as an adult. That ultimately the standard that you should look to for righteousness is guess who? No, that's not what they've been taught. They've been taught guess who? The scribes and the Pharisees. Does that make sense? They had been taught, hey, you know what? The, the scribes and the Pharisees, they don't just perform the law. They perform more than the law. Right? I mean, because you got to understand about the scribes and the Pharisees during this day. Particularly the Pharisees during this day, like, the, the, the issue here is that these are the guys that, like, it wasn't just I'm going to follow the Ten Commandments and I'm just going to follow the Levitical law. But they would then have these extra sets of laws to make sure that they didn't even come close to, to breaking these other laws like to the point that like hey you know what we're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath it's a day of rest and so you know what we're going to do we're literally going to say how many steps you can take out of your house and we're literally going to measure how many steps you can take out of your house to get back to your house and we'll put like a stake in the ground there so you know you don't go further than that I'm being serious it's crazy right so if you're living during this period of time, your thought process is when it comes to being the best of the best in following God's law, I got to look to those Pharisees. I mean, I'm nothing compared to the Pharisees because, man, they really keep the law. They don't just keep the law. They go above and beyond the law, Right? If this is a baseball team, the Pharisees are the ones that are staying after to hit in the cages a little extra. Y'all get what I'm saying? If this is a basketball team, the Pharisees are the ones that are showing up for the extra shoot around when nobody else is. That's what these guys are doing, right? If this is the folks getting ready for dessert theater, the Pharisees are the ones that are showing up during extra periods of time to work on their lines. Y'all understand? Some of y'all were doing that earlier today, right? Like that's these guys, And Jesus says, hey, to enter the kingdom of heaven, guess what? you got to do more than they do. Can you imagine the pin that would have, can you imagine that you could have heard a pin drop when Jesus said that? Because if you're sitting in that crowd and that's what you've been taught, they're the standard of righteousness. And you get told, oh, by the way, to enter the kingdom of God, guess what? Well you got to be better than those guys. And y'all think those guys are better than the rest of you. you actually got to be better than them. Do you know why Jesus says that? Because do you know what God's standard is? 100% perfection. It's perfection. God's standard of righteousness is perfection. And that creates a problem. You know why that creates a problem? Well, let me tell you why that creates a problem. Creates a problem first because of Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, 23 says this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. We got another problem. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And then he tells us why. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable perishable some translations read the corruptible does not inherit that which is incorrupt right in other words the imperfect can't inherit that which is perfect so that means we're we're all up a creek without a paddle i don't know if y'all even know what that means but like that's what we are like we're we're in deep trouble because god's standard of righteousness is perfection Do you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is simply communicating to this crowd Ain't none of y'all good enough. Not a single one. Pharisees think they got it all figured out. There's all these laws in the Old Testament that are written. I didn't come to do away with them, I came ultimately to fulfill them. And then he's going to go on further in just a second. And literally, the next thing he says in verse 21 is, You have heard the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go to the fiery hell. Jesus says, Real righteousness, the real standard that God has is perfection. Matter of fact, he takes one of the most simple commands that we can understand, which is obviously you don't kill people. And he goes, hey, you say that if you kill folks, you're going to get in trouble. And Jesus goes, actually, he says it's not just about murdering people. You call somebody a fool. You're you're, you're doomed to a fiery hell. Now let me ask you a question. Anybody in here a perfectionist? Yeah, we got a couple. Admit. Don't be afraid to admit it. It's okay. Right? Right? Okay, any of you folks got like OCD and stuff? You don't have to admit that, but like, you know, right? Yeah. Isn't that a struggle? Like to always think that you've got this standard that you have to stay like up to. I uh, was watching my son play travel baseball this fall. And uh, I was watching uh, on the field above him. He was playing in a 13-U tournament. I was watching on the field above him uh, a 14-U tournament going on between games. And I'm not going to say the guy's name because one, the guy's from Georgia, so some of you may know him, and I don't want to offend any of you. Um, But there was a former professional baseball player who was there, and uh, his son was playing, and this dad was really good back in the day, offensively. Like, he, he could hit, I mean, he, he could mash. And uh, I watched as his son, who was on this really good team, probably on this really good team only because his dad was, because the son wasn't very good. And I watched the son, two at-bats in a row, and then I was like, I'm done seeing this. Like, I watched him one inning, I watched him like two or three other innings later, and then Brady was actually about to play again, so I went back to the other field to watch Brady play. And I watched the son step up to the plate, and I watched him strike out the first at bat. And I watched him as he went back to the dugout, and I couldn't figure out if this dad that was a former major leaguer um, was a coach or not. Because, like, when the kid was hitting, he was standing by the fence, like, close to where the guy was at the plate, right? And uh, he was, like, chirping the whole time the kid was hitting I was like, good gracious, no wonder the kid can't hit. Like, you just need to shut up. Like, you go up there and try to hit with somebody chirping in your ear the whole time, right? Especially someone that's as large a man as you are right now, right? Like, it was like that kind of thought. So the kid strikes out, and then as the kid goes back to the dugout, the dad literally walks around the dugout and goes into the dugout. And I was like, is he a coach or is he not a coach? I can't figure out what's going on. And as the good Lord is my witness... As the kid comes out a few innings later to hit again, dad comes back out of the dugout and literally comes back around. And this time, because the kid hits left-handed, dad doesn't stand behind him. Dad goes to the other side of the fence. And I thought when he went over there, I went, ah, he's about to take his his camera out and he's about to video him, get a better angle. And that's how even the scouts do it. Like, they try to get you, like, if you're hitting from this direction, they want to get you this way. See, your swing better. Like, that's what he's about to do. He's going to break down the kid's swing later. That's what's going to happen. No, he just came over there, I think, so that he could yell at his kid while he was swinging so the kid could see him eye to eye. Yes, that's the only thing I can figure out. Because once again, the entire bat, the poor kid's struggling, and the dad's over there chirping. Like he's chirping, and it was funny in some sense, and it was sad in another sense, because the kid takes a big, huge hack... His first swing. I'm like, well, no wonder he took a big, big huge hat. Because you yelled at him the last time when he struck out. And he's thinking, man, I'm going to hit a tank right now so my dad will shut up. And instead he swings and misses. And his dad's like, hey, why are we taking such a big swing? And I'm like, dude, seriously? So this time what happens is, is the kid gets in a hole. He ends up battling back. He fouls off a couple of pitches. The dad the whole time is chirping, right? And so dude throws a fastball. Kid goes, Strike three. And literally, same dad that was like, why'd you take such a big swing? It's like, we got a swing at that. Kid walks back to the dugout, drops his head. Dad comes around the fence, literally meets the kid at the dugout. At this point, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go watch my son play now. Like, You all know what I'm saying? And I felt so bad for that kid. Because I, I, I thought for just a moment in, in my mind, I thought, That kid's probably seen the World Series memorabilia in his dad's basement somewhere. That kid probably knows the contract that this dude signed out west, which was very, very large. Part of me wanted to yell at this guy and be like, dude, when you went out west to play, I'm not telling you where he went so you can't figure out who he is. I'm like, when you went out west to play, you sucked, so leave your son alone. That's what I wanted to yell at him and say, right? He was a lot bigger than me, though, so I just kind of left it alone. And I have a dog in the fight. And I thought, man, I wonder what standard that son must think he's got to, that he must think he's being held up to. I mean, I coached high school baseball for a long time, and I can tell you that son was, I mean, unless God performs a miracle in that kid's life, that kid's not playing professional baseball. He's not. Can you imagine living that way, knowing that there is a standard that's been set that you can never meet? It's tough, isn't it? Do you know the reality is, is that there's a standard that's been set that we can never meet? And do you know that the only way for that standard to be met is through what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary? See, we we needed a perfect, sinless sacrifice to cover our blemishes, to cover our sin, to cover our shortcomings, to cover our faults. And Jesus was that. And Jesus then rose from the dead so that we could overcome death, sin, and the grave. And ultimately, what that allows us to do is not be like that poor son of that former Major League Baseball player walking around knowing that there is never a standard that we can meet. But instead, it allows us to live from this place of freedom, the place that J.D. Greer was talking about in that quote in which our obedience to God doesn't come out of a place of that we've got to meet the standard, that we've got to fulfill all these laws, but our obedience to God ultimately comes from a place of knowing that Jesus has died for us, and if we've put our faith and trust in him, he's forgiven us, and he's saved us, and ultimately what we need truly and only in this life is him. Him. And that gives us the freedom to then obey Jesus and fulfill these laws. Not out of a place of, oh no, I got to do this for fear of my dad's going to be on the other side of the fence yelling and screaming at me. But instead out of a place of thankfulness. And out of the change of our heart that's occurred when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. What Jesus desires for you tonight is to recognize he he didn't come to do away with the law and give you just an out to just live this easy grace sort of life. That's that's not the point. He, He didn't come to just, you know, make us all read this story, this sermon and go, Oh man, I got to walk around on pins and needles because he's telling me, like, I can't ever have one bad thought in my mind. Like, y'all know what I'm saying? But instead, what Jesus wants you to understand tonight is this. Yes, you are broken and you are sinful and you will never meet the standard. But the answer and the hope doesn't lie with you, it lies with him. It's why, guess what? Big spoiler alert. Later in this semester, we're going to turn over to chapter 7. And it's why Jesus says in chapter 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And then he says in verse 15, Beware the false prophet who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Once again, we're sitting here reading this and we go, hold on. The will of your Father is we can't ever get angry. The will of your Father is we can't ever call somebody a fool. The will of your Father is, is we've got to have a higher standard than even the Pharisees. It's still tough, isn't it? He says, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then he says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. You know what Jesus desires from you? To yes, acknowledge that you will never meet his standard. But yet also acknowledge that the only way to have eternal life, the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven, spoiler alert, is what we find here at the end. There's a narrow path and there's a wide path. It is the narrow path that leads to life, it is the wide path that leads to destruction. There are trees that produce good fruit. There are trees that produce bad fruit. And you will know them by their fruit. And there's a lot of people that think they're headed to heaven. Who Jesus says, I will say, depart from me. And then he says, be like the man whose foundation was the rock. See, when we understand, yeah, we're messed up. And we're never going to meet the standard but then we recognize that it's okay because Jesus did it for us, then what we can realize is that our faith, our salvation, our eternal security, our sanctification, where we're made more like Him every day, is all based upon Him as the foundation, as the rock on which we stand. On Christ's... The solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Do you know why all other ground is sinking sand? Here's why. Because if you try to put your faith upon anything you can do, you will fall short. So my question to you tonight is this. What is your faith based upon? What is your salvation based upon? Is it who you are? Is it how good you are? Is it what you try to do or is it upon the name above all names? The one who came and lived a perfect, sinless life, who met the standard and then bled and died for you and for me. I'll tell you where I'll put my faith and hope. Because I know I'm a messed up, sinful, dumb, prideful, sometimes arrogant man i'm going to fall because i can't meet that standard and lord knows i don't have the amount of time in the day to figure out all the things the pharisees did to try to meet it but i can trust jesus i can trust jesus thanks for tuning in to today's episode if you enjoyed this week's message share it with a friend To stay up to date with us, follow us on Instagram at UGABCM. We hope to see you next Monday night at Gathering.